0: Broadband, internet service providers, and real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night.
1: Thank you very much for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. That over there is Carlin.
0: And that on the other side is Jordan.
1: Fantastic. Well, Carlin, today we have a selection of yours. Yes.
0: Yes. Certainly, I chose the movie Memento. It is a non-chronological thriller, um, <laughs> chronological but not chronological.
1: Is non-chronological now a genre? Just about. Just about.
0: You I, know. I feel like ever since Pulp Fiction, it got extremely, extremely, extremely popular. popular. Yes. yes. Um, but Memento, it's a film that, up until the other day, I had probably not seen until like
1: ten years ago. Yeah, it's been at least five years since I saw it. I, I've only seen this movie, I think this is the second time that I've seen it. Yeah. Um, for, for a non-linear movie, I think it actually does a pretty good job of making sure you understand the story.
0: Yes, I, I think so too. Um, they definitely put enough into uh, the dialogue and the actual scenes um, to, to get you
1: to where the end is supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. And the end actually starts off in the beginning, but we'll get into that a little bit later on down the road. This film actually was directed by I I think you could probably call him right now Hollywood's golden boy. Oh yeah. Um, with Christopher Nolan.
0: Yeah. I, um, I really think he's at he is definitely at a point where it's like in most people mind people's minds he can do no wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, after the success of the most recent Batman trilogy, um, and also he's had a hand he had a hand in Man of Steel. As a produ- producer, but he was also known for movies like *The Prestige* and *Inception*. Also, did a remake of the uh, Scandinavian movie *Insomnia*.
0: Yes. Which, by the way, this film came out in two thousand *Memento*. Dip, yes. And that was actually right before um, he Christopher Nolan wrote *Batman Begins*. Mm-hmm. With and I think he mainly writes with his brother. Uh, all the scripts, which is the the case with Memento as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it was with Memento, his brother provided the original story, and he did the script for it. Right. Um, So this was right before he wrote Batman Begins, and before he directed Insomnia. He did not write Insomnia, he just directed it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, it's kind of like, um, Memento was his second movie. He had made one feature-length movie beforehand, but that... Wasn't really all that popular. Memento was the movie that uh, gave him the surge in popularity that allowed him to to really move into into Hollywood's upper crust.
0: Yeah, it was his big breakthrough. I remember when Memento first came out, there was tons and tons and tons of buzz around it, and I was just like, "Oh man, this sounds so cool! I got to go check it out." And I remember loving it when I originally saw it. So it was cool to go back to it, because honestly, after like 10 years, I had forgotten a lot of it, including the end, yeah. <laughs> which is the beginning.
1: Right, 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 right.
0: But I, I had forgotten that, which was I was very thankful for, actually, because then it made the experience of watching the film again, just like new.
1: And it was also really interesting to come back to a movie that is um, that is the basis of an auteur's basic... Well, his career essentially.
0: It was his birth into Hollywood.
1: Yeah, really. Yeah. So it's interesting to look at it now, considering all of the movies that he's done most recently, and seeing how his style has remained the same in some aspects, and how things have uh, become different in another in other aspects. So that was really cool to see. Nolan is is um, one of the three three directors that I think are kind of the nerd directors. The that, that the. The nerds, the the group that I guess I, I most identify with, would follow. The other two being Joss Whedon and J.J. Abrams. Um, I, I love Joss Whedon. I
0: kind of don't really care about J.J. J. Abrams. Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, uh, I his Star Trek movies. The first one was okay. The second one was a travesty to man.
0: We'll see how awesome J.J. Abrams is when the new Star Wars comes out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> At the risk of getting um, Jordan out on on a tangent
1: about Star Wars which is common for this podcast there's nothing Star Wars related about this movie uh, though so let's go ahead and thankfully yeah
0: <laughs> go ahead
1: and table that for now so let's go ahead and talk about who starred in this movie uh all, all the all the nitty-gritty and things like that so we had as the main character Leonard Shelby we had Guy Pierce, and Guy Pierce has done a lot of really cool movies and um has had something of a, a career renaissance. His career has really blossomed in the past few years. Just last year he was in Iron Man 3 uh, as Aldrich Killian. The, the big villain of the movie. So I think I think our goal is to review movies that have the villains from the Iron Man movies <laughs> without actually reviewing the Iron Man movies themselves. Right. So the Big Lebowski next. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So next we're going to be watching the Big Lebowski. But Guy Pearce, in addition to Iron Man three, has done a lot of other movies. He was in The King's Speech, which was a, a cr- critical success. He was starred as King Edward the Eighth. Um, and then another movie that he did that I really enjoyed about 10 years ago, was the uh, Count of Monte Cristo, uh, which um, was really good. He was starring as uh, Fernand uh, Fernand Mondego in that particular piece.
0: This film, Memento, was right before Count of Monte Cristo for him. And it was actually right after Rules of Engagement, as well as a movie I love, Ravenous, Mm -hmm. which is basically about cannibalism.
1: Oh, yeah, it sounds like your kind of movie.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's not—it's not really a horror film, though. Everyone check it out. Uh, trust me, it's good. It's not really horror, but it's really interesting. Very interesting film. And Guy Pierce is very good in it.
1: Well, he's—he's he's one of those actors. Um, I, and, and I keep on mentioning this, but he's one of those actors who kind of reminds me of Sam Rockford, where he's really, really good, but people just don't really notice him all that much. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, yes. No. Not Rockford. From, from the Rockford Files. From Confessions in, of a from, Dangerous Mind. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Gotcha um we also had in this movie we had carrie ann moss playing natalie who is um, not necessarily a love interest, but a, someone who helps Leonard Shelby's character out and kind of manipulates him into certain actions. Well, who doesn't throughout right. this film? Yeah, I mean, this film, in, in, instead of being called Memento, should just be called The Manipulations of Leonard Shelby. Yeah, which is actually a cool-sounding title. It is.
0: But uh, I think Carrie Ann Moss is most commonly known for her um, role as Trinity in the trilogy of the Matrix? Matrix films. Yeah, why was I... That's That's how much the final film meant to me. Right. (laughs) It kind of like erased everything.
1: You know, I had only ever seen the first Matrix movie. Which is awesome. Which is a great movie. But when I watched it, I was like, well, there needs to be more because the story isn't done yet. And so I never saw the second Matrix movie until about a year and a half ago, maybe. And which I, is I, solid it's a solid movie it's actually pretty good I know it gets a lot of flack but mm. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit for, a, for a, a sequel movie and I thought it was
0: good too but I should say don't ruin the fun don't see the final film
1: I, I, I have not yet seen this the final adult. film so.
0: um, which Joe Pantoliano is in Ironically it, which enough. one is he in he's, he's in, in one the first of one, one. The, yeah
1: yeah, the because one. he um,
0: and he's in this film
1: yeah he's actually the, the, the villain the one who <laughs> betrays them in the
0: first Matrix yeah, movie, that's right. Oh, and sorry, one more thing on Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, she starred in four other movies in two thousand. Yeah. Wh- is which is when Memento came out. She was in Chocolat, Red Planet, The Crew, and New Blood. Yeah, so she was she was in five releases in the same year.
1: Well, I think the Ma- like the Matrix made her really really popular. Obviously. I guess uh, I mean. She didn't. She slowed down in her career a lot since then. I mean, uh, two other movies that she's done more recently um, that she could be known for is Fido, which is a zombie movie. Yes,
0: I'm familiar with that. I haven't seen it, but it's on my Netflix queue. Yes,
1: and also Disturbia. Okay. So those are those are two other movies that she was in. Joe Pantoliano, um, who played this guy named John Edward Gamble or Teddy. He just went as Teddy. Yeah. Yeah, he was known for a whole bunch of roles. He's done a ton of a ton of work. He's one of those character actors who always seems to find work. Yeah. Um, he was in Risky Business, um, and also The Fugitive, just to give you uh, some example of the kind of roles that he's done, and, of course, The Matrix, as we were just discussing. Um, so it was released by uh, New Market Films and also Team Todd. The, those were the two studios that uh, teamed up to bring Memento to the world. And it was uh, distributed by Summit Entertainment. Yeah. Uh, It was actually, as a lot of first movies are, like Clerks and... uh Reservoir Dogs and things like that It was made on a pretty low budget um, At least low in terms of Hollywood standards It only clocked in at about 5 million dollars But it was really successful Making 8 times that amount For it's actual box office take And that's probably why Christopher Nolan
0: is a big deal now Because Hollywood saw this and they're like This guy can turn a heck of a profit Mm -hmm. Let's Mm -hmm. get him
1: But he he does turn a heck of a profit Without sacrificing the story And that's
0: one of the biggest things. If I've learned anything from watching the films that he writes and directs, it's that his brain is ridiculous. He has the ability to really think things through and put down very complex ideas successfully. And that's seen very clearly in Memento, and that's seen, well, maybe not so clearly, but because some people would argue that it's not all that clear, but. I think so, in Inception.
1: Yeah, Inception is one of those movies that we'll definitely have to review if it ever becomes streaming on Netflix yeah. because it's it's a, it's a brain puzzle. It's a brilliant movie. And it you know what? It, unlike a lot of slick, non-sequential movies, it holds up well to multiple viewings. Oh, definitely. Uh, so Well,
0: I would actually say that that's one that you have to view multiple mm-hmm. times to truly catch everything. And Memento, not necessarily... But I think at least a second watch of Memento will give you that satisfaction of knowing what's truly going on the second time. So you can maybe pick up on some additional things. Yeah.
1: Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the technical things that they did in the movie um like we mentioned uh, uh this is a non-linear story and one of the techniques that they used to make it really interesting and keep it you visually attuned to where you were in the timeline was that it used black and white for some of the some of the film and then it also used color well the interesting thing is the black and white was
0: used for the linear story that they had intermixed yes and the color was used for the um, the non-linear portion. So basically, what they were doing was they started at the very end, and it was a few minutes block. Yeah. And then the next scene would be the few minutes before that. And then the few minutes before that and the few minutes before that until they got back to the beginning of where everything started. But throughout that, they were also throwing in the black and white, which was a side story. Yeah, I mean, it's the same main story, but it was things that had happened before the beginning of the main storyline.
1: Yeah, it was essentially the the black and white material was the prologue to the the actual story that was being told in color, which was an interesting way to do it because there was this one scene where it all, where it mashed together, and it faded from black and white, and this is a weird way to say it, but it faded from black and white into color. Yeah,
0: it was really cool, um, and I picked up on that moment, and it's just like, oh, you just, you just crossed over. Yeah,
1: you, you went from being, observing the past, and it, then observing the present. Yeah, and this is a technique that I thought, it,
0: it's, it's just so smart. Yeah. You know, it's just like... How do you take a confusing concept like you're working with in Memento and make sure that everyone gets it and be able to tell to different portions of the same story at the same time yeah and they're like okay color here black and white here we play this forward we play this backwards like that sounds logistically like a mess i
1: wonder i wonder if it was something that they had planned to do well i guess they they planned a certain part of it to always be Mm nonlinear because of the use of black and white but i wonder if for the main story if they intended it to be something that was non-linear, or if they planned it to, they, that was something that they came across in editing. I would believe that it's more of the former rather than the latter, right. um, because of the way that it's, um, that it's structured. And also, you can't have that fade from color or from black and white into color, unless you're thinking about how you want the story to be structured overall.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things for me is the way this movie began. Yeah. Which is the end of the film,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or the end of the story. So you, It's the beginning of the film, the end of the story. You
1: end the story, well, you begin the story with Leonard Shelby...
0: Shaking a photo.
1: Shaking a photo.
0: Well, you're first just looking at the photo, and it's gruesome. And, it, and it's just like a gruesome way to really start it. He's looking, It's a bloody picture. It's obviously someone who's been killed, and there's blood all over the place. And you're just looking at it. It's a Polaroid. Yeah. So then it's shaken and it starts undeveloping. And every time it's shaken, it undevelops a little bit more. So that whole first scene is it's actually backwards. Yeah, they shot
1: lines. it and then they and then they ran they, it backwards. Ran it backwards.
0: And it's really cool because to start the movie like that, if you're someone who has never seen it before and you're just coming into it, it really gets you into the mindset of thriller because you're just like, hold on, what's going on? How did we get
1: here? Well, and also that that whole rewind element continues throughout the movie because it's um, it's showing how Leonard perceives the world and how he can only perceive the world for a limited amount of time, and then it just regresses backwards. And one of the one of the
0: things that they did so well in this film is to, I mean, Leonard the character is is suffering from. Short-term memory loss. Yes. So his memory is only like 10 minutes, I believe, at a time. So he can't form actually form new memories. Yeah. He can only have the old memories he has. But I think this film did a really good job of sticking enough techniques in, such as starting from the end and just going in chunks and... You know, doing the whole black and white intermixing and doing that whole first scene backwards, that helps to make the audience members feel the same way. It gives you that sense of confusion, so you can kind of Identify with what Leonard's going through because he's confused throughout this whole film. So it really helps you be confused too.
1: It makes you really kind of claustrophobic and a little bit paranoid, just as Leonard is, because he's trying to figure out who he's told things to previously, who he can trust, you know, and, and he actually at one point, not to give too much away, but he chooses not to trust someone, so he writes a note on on to himself saying do not trust the lies of this person so so then that totally changes he it was something that he willfully did because he was using his lack of memory as a barrier to protect himself from what he was actually doing yeah
0: and something I really want to talk about with this is the the condition that Leonard has in general Um, like we said he has this short-term memory loss so he can't form new memories and you know, he can only keep it together basically for, for about 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden it's like he's just kind of woke up and he's just like, What's going on? So he has to kind of relook at everything. Yeah. My wife, Rebecca, she works with people for a living who have brain injuries, and so she's worked with people who have short term memory loss. And all throughout this film, she was watching it with me, and I kept asking her questions like, is this, is this realistic? Is this realistic? Some of the things she was like, this can happen, and that is probable, or that is accurate. But there were other things where she was kind of like, uh, no from the standpoint of someone who's actually seen all this. And one of the main, main things is she said, Leonard's character would not have things as put together as he does. And he wouldn't be able to be nearly as organized as he is in the film. But I understand from a filmmaker's perspective, you can't always be 100% faithful to those types of things because otherwise you risk not being able to tell the story. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what happened with this film is it's not 100% accurate. It is kind of close. Um, but that's just kind of what had to be done in order to be able to effectively tell the story. Because otherwise, if you can't, get anything together, you're going to have a really long movie as every ten minutes, he's trying to refigure out every single thing that you've already learned as yeah. the viewer.
1: As it is, it's a really long movie in That's, and of itself. It's almost two hours. It's almost two hours long, and it really feels, in a lot of spots, really slow. Once, once the initial confusion of the beginning of the scene wears off, then you're trying to go ahead and figure out Okay, well, what's going to happen next that's going to trigger another loss in memory? Yeah. You know, so so some of the scenes, they're good, and it's interesting in that regard, but they kind of feel a little flabby as you're just waiting for that next rush.
0: Yeah. You know, So,
1: which is an interesting side effect of that.
0: Yeah. And, it, yeah, it really does give this extra aspect of adventure to it because you're kind of like, in what way are we going to pop up yeah. into the scene? And one of the scenes where you pop up, he's in the middle of chasing. Well, it's interesting because he's running. Yeah. And he just kind of like comes to and he's like, what am I doing? And he, he's thinking to himself, he's like, what am I doing? And he sees a person and he's like, am I chasing this guy? Yes. Yeah, so and then the person shoots at him and he goes, he's chasing me. And then he runs the other way. Yeah. So that was really cool and interesting. Um. So yeah, it really does add that extra rush to yeah. it. And I'm going to be honest, I really, really liked watching this movie in this manner of seeing something and then being like, okay, let me see the segment right before that. What led us right up to that? Right. And then just getting it kind of piece by piece.
1: And I, I, love, I love, it has a little bit of a sense of humor that's a bit twisted, especially the, um, the, uh, the, the guy who works at the hotel. Yeah, um, he, who's played by Mark Boone Junior.,
0: who's uh, now most famous for his role in the show Sons of Anarchy is Bobby.
1: Yeah, yeah, he plays Bobby Elvis in Sons of Anarchy. Um, he he was all he's also been in several other of um, Nolan's movies, uh, particularly Batman Begins, uh, where he plays the corrupt cop.
0: Yeah, I remember that.
1: So, um, but he at one point he he messes around with uh, Leonard. By saying, yeah, I actually have booked you into two separate rooms, and you're paying double the amount that you're supposed to. Well, the funny thing is, hes he doesn't seem like a bad
0: person, no, necessarily.
1: No, no. He just seems like someone who is content with a low-level job.
0: Yeah, he's pretty nice to uh, Leonard within the film, but he, he did the terrible thing of basically... Checking him into extra rooms. But he said that was because his manager told him his to manager, do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's not him being a terrible person. It's just kind of like he's doing what he's told type thing, and he doesn't want to lose his job, I guess. Yeah. But um, he's
1: probably the least crappy person in the film outside yeah. of Leonard. Oh, because, I mean, Natalie Natalie essentially uses Leonard as a hitman yeah. to, to get rid of her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... Spits in his beer, in front of his face. In in front of his face, and then turns around and he doesn't remember. You know, which is hilarious. Yeah, that is a funny scene. Um, Not
0: only does she spit in it, but she gets a patron at the bar to spit in it. A really
1: grody looking guy too. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, how else are you going to do that scene? It's got to be a grody
1: looking guy. That's true. I mean, like a a real nice, clean shaven looking guy who's drinking in the middle of the afternoon is not really all that plausible, is it? Someone who
0: takes their top hat off and takes off their monocle and then just spits a little loogie in there.
1: I'm sorry. This is not champagne. I'm not going to spit in this. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah. I mean. Everyone's kind of scumbag. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a movie where everybody is pretty much a scumbag, and uh, Teddy is Teddy is a real a real scumbag. Piece of work that Teddy. Oh huh? my goodness. It's like you, you look at what he does, and and Teddy Teddy apparently is, tells at the beginning of the story and the end of the movie, tells uh, Leonard that he's an undercover cop. Mm-hmm. You know, and he is um, trying to stop this drug dealer named John G, who is 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 causing a lot of trouble. Now, the thing is, for Teddy, uh, not for Teddy, for Leonard, Leonard believes that his wife was killed by two men who were, raping the, her in his bathroom. Yeah. Um, and one of them got away, and the one who got away was named either John G or James G. Yep. So, basically, Teddy is using Leonard as almost an attack dog yeah. to, to get pro- rid of problems that should be handled legally.
0: Right, and you learn that Teddy was a actual police officer, and he was the police officer that worked the case Uh, when Leonard's wife was raped. Um, But, the you know, it's a clear example of a person who sees an opportunity to do something illegal and and find a way to to work it to their advantage and just be like, eh, let's see how we can make this happen. And so I don't want to give too much away because we'll kind of towards the end of the podcast reveal... You know the the big ending, which I hope everyone's actually seen the film though. But there may be some questions as to what truly did happen in the yeah. end. So I don't want to reveal too much. But um, but one one thing is all these things that that Leonard knows and keeps reteaching himself are either um, tattooed onto him, which we'll talk about that in a second. That method, um, or they're written on. Um, Polaroid pictures of people and places, so he's just kind of doing this, having always having the information on him to piece this investigation that he's putting together right. together, because he set out to try and find the killer, his wife's killer,
1: which is admirable, but also kind of crazy considering his situation.
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah, because you know, in that sense, you you know that he's not a total good person, a totally good person. Because who actually takes matters into their own hands with things like that? You know, you're really supposed to leave that up to law enforcement. But he's convinced that what had happened is there was an attacker, there were two attackers, and the police believe there was one attacker. And what happened is he shot the one attacker when he busted in on him raping his wife. Yeah. And that attacker died, but he believes he was then hit in the head by another attacker and the police had ignored that there was another attacker, they had no clue, so he's gotta take it into his own hands yeah. and find this guy and, and kill him. So um, but he uses these methods, you know, like we were talking about to, you know, reteach himself every now, 10 I minutes. Th-
1: I do think that the Polaroid method, when Leonard is being honest with himself, is a good way to go about it. Because, you know, you look at it, you can immediately identify what the what the thing is that you're supposed to be remembering, and then you've got the information. There's the picture of the hotel sign where I'm staying. Well, this is, and then it has the name of the, the room yeah. written down on there. So, and then it has a picture of uh, Teddy at one point with his phone number on there. Of course, you flip it over, and the back of the card says, don't trust his lies. Yeah. Well,
0: and one of the things, when I I was watching it with my wife, knowing what she knows about brain injuries, he kept having the moments where he would be confused about something, like a person or a place. So he would immediately pull his photos out Mm -hmm. and look through them to kind of get his information to be like, okay, should I be trusting this person or what do I know about this place? And check it. And so I said to Rebecca, I was like, is that possible for someone with short-term memory loss? Like, would he actually just know to go for these photos. like First of all, would he remember those photos are there? Second of all, if he knew he had photos in his pocket, would he know to go to them and what they were? And she actually said that yes, with things like short-term memory loss, you can condition yourself to do things, um, so it is feasible. She said that he could legitimately have conditioned himself to go for those photos anytime he's feeling confused. So that actually gets to, well first of all actually, it's shown a little bit in the film because when you're going through the black and white portion, uh, they're talking about another person who had a um, a brain injury and had a short-term memory loss issue. Sammy. Sammy Jenkins. And he went through a test where they were trying to condition him to see if he could condition himself with his condition. That's kind of funny, condition himself with his condition. But they were basically having him pick up, like... Um, Different uh, shapes, metal shapes, yeah. and some of them were electrified to, to try and see if he could teach himself, condition himself not to touch the ones that were electrified. So you see that there, how that can be done, but within the, the setting of a film, you don't know how accurate that is.
1: Right, and also, I mean, it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, "Well, this is this would be a great thing," uh, but. I don't know how how much of this is logic and how much of it is the lizard brain. Yeah. I, and I think that 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 type of thing is evidence, like your wife said, that you can train yourself to mm-hmm. to go for the information that you're that you need to survive. I think that was probably um, something that shows that you're how adaptable the human brain is and how you can yeah. uh, learn new things, even though people are saying people say once your brain is completely formed, that's it. And that's not necessarily true. So it was really interesting to see that kind of thing come into play.
0: Well, I do know that for some people, when they have brain injuries, they're able to work through things to use different portions of their brain to compensate yeah. for what they can no longer use in other portions of the brain. Um, which is, yeah, just speaks to how amazing that is. But within the film, since they. Do go over the fact that you can condition yourself if you have short-term memory loss. I think that the whole, and I know you'll agree with me, Jordan, the whole concept of Leonard tattooing the facts all over himself of his investigation seems ridiculous. Because he didn't have to be doing that. All he he simply because he because he conditioned himself to just look at these photos. He could have as easily conditioned himself to look at a notepad. Yeah. And just have a notepad where he could write everything down instead of having to go through the pain of tattooing things on himself. Well,
1: and I think I think that has to do a little bit with one scene where Leonard says to himself, even normal people have to use a mirror to remember themselves. So it was it was something that they were trying to draw out in the film, how we have our own, how our own physical appearance is seared into our memory and different things remind us About different incidents in our lives when we look at different parts of our body So you look down at your arm and you see a scar and you think oh well That's the time that I fell off my bike when I was a kid and and things like that So I can see where they're coming from in terms of the logic of it Mm -hmm. um, but I think that Honestly, it was a more permanent solution for a problem that really wasn't there to begin with Um, and also By continually tattooing the information on himself, he was creating more of a problem. Yeah. Because um, he was continuing this cycle over and over again because that information was never going to go away.
0: Right, right. Which, I mean, does play into the overall theme of the film. Yeah. Um, But one one of the things around those facts that he's writing down that I want to point out is he makes a very important comment and I forget who he was talking to but he he says that he deals mainly well just in facts because memories can change right so facts don't change memories change so he's really gotten to this point where he's only going to go on facts because he doesn't have a memory to use right And whenever anyone says something about using their memory or using someone else's memory, he's just basically like, look, that's not valid, because one, I can't use my memory, and two, if you truly think about it, what you remember doesn't stay the same, necessarily. Right. You can change your memory from time to time, and... That's seen a lot with people who have like traumatic experiences.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, just think about how unreliable a witness actually is in terms of uh, criminal investigations. I remember there was this one time when I was taking a college psychology class. And we were shown this video of an incident that occurred. And a lot of the people in the, in the room said that it looked like the black person had done that. The person of African-American descent. So it's like you're conditioned to think of certain people in certain ways. So when your brain can't encompass what's actually happening, then it automatically fills in with a stereotype. And one of the things that's interesting about the movie in general is that Leonard is not dealing in facts. He's only writing down half of the information most of the time
0: but he doesn't remember he
1: doesn't remember he's only writing like on a polaroid you only have so much room to write information down so he has to condense it down quite a bit
0: yeah so he really he i mean really for that reason he can't write facts he has to simplify he has
1: to write everything down in impressions and thoughts and you know just general notations and so he's building an unreliable mosaic for himself in which to view the world Mm-hmm. You know, and it's really amazing to think about it because a lot of times even with fully functioning mental capacities and, and memories and everything like that, people will will continually to act on half-formed impressions and generalizations rather than get all of the information. So, we what does it really say about our society, you know, that we only work on, on just these general half-truths that we tell ourselves? Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's important right now to talk about the the black and white story, the linear story that's going on, which is about Sammy Jenkins. Yes. And, in fact, Leonard has tattooed, I believe it's on his wrist, wrist or forearm, or it's his like, left, left, He's
1: got, like, a, a little tattoo right above his thumb on his right hand, and or left
0: hand. it says, remember Sammy Jenkins. Right. And Sammy Jenkins is a story about a man who, I believe they said, was in a car accident. And had short-term memory loss, and it wasn't like a ten-minute span that he could remember things. It was much less. I think it was like two minutes. It was very,
1: yeah, it was very tight. And also, one thing to remember is that part the way that Leonard was involved in this story was that he was the insurance investigator who was out to prove that Sammy Jenkins was faking it. Yeah,
0: exactly. So he was trying to, you know, so he was close to that that um, that case and so he's explaining everything and he's talking on the phone during this time and so he, he's explaining all that that went on with Sammy Jenkins and Sammy you know would sit there and you know couldn't remember anything from 2 minutes prior it was just in 2 minute chunks and one of the things i will interject now uh, that really struck me during that is they were saying how he couldn't watch tv shows he ha- he really would prefer to just watch commercials because they were so short that he could really understand what was going on. Yeah, And if he would watch a TV show, he would just end up, after a few minutes, just changing the channel because he couldn't remember what was happening. Yeah, And I thought about that, and I'm like, man, how bad would it be to have a short-term memory loss issue like that? Because that is what would happen. You couldn't watch TV. You couldn't watch movies. You would just consistently be confused about what you were doing what you were watching i mean that's a terrible existence
1: well i mean i think if all you have in terms of memory comprehension is what would appear on a vine video then i mean that's just a horrible way to live
0: yeah know? because you can't do anything long term really. no
1: i mean and, and really what it showed was sammy jenkins just all he could do was literally just sit in his chair and just exist he couldn't. He couldn't function in any kind of way, and and really Leonard can't function in any kind of meaningful way either, even though he's trying really hard.
0: The other terrible thing about the condition, in the in the case of Leonard himself, is, with when this brain injury supposedly happened, mm-hmm. when his wife was was raped, uh, and killed, hit, it would constantly be in on his mind. He would, he would never be able to get away from that feeling like she just died. Yeah. Um. So it's like every ten minutes he's, like it's like he's waking up and he's like she just died. Yeah. And that's just, that's even worse way to live. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I could, you know, live with that kind of grief all the time. Because I mean, there are there are ways for you to get around the grieving process. I mean. over time when something when something tragic happens yes it hurts a lot in the beginning but it eventually fades but if you're just living those yeah. 10 minutes over and over and over again then you're you're going to have that raw feeling for your entire life
0: but i would argue in in the context of the film that the way it was written it actually has shown him getting hardened by it kind of because if you Look at the toward the beginning of the of the story, yes. the end of the film, but the beginning of the story, he is a bit more on the emotional side, and there is a moment where he has a hooker, come well an escort, come to his um, where he's staying the the hotel room he's staying yeah. in, and he doesn't want to have sex with her. He just asks her, you know, look, I want you to wait until I go to sleep. When I oh, well first he asks her to take all these belongings that were his wife's and place them around the room as if she owned them.
1: Yeah, it was a teddy bear, a clock, a paperback book that had the, the actual cover ripped off. And a hairbrush. And a hairbrush, yeah.
0: Yeah, and he asked her to do this, and then he says, once I go to sleep, um, get up, go into the bathroom, and slam the door. So this was him trying to trying feel to, like she was still alive. And,
1: and have the last few moments of peace that he could yeah. really remember.
0: Yeah. And so you see that more emotional side to it. But if you really look at it towards the end of the actual story, the way he interacts with people is a lot more robotic and seems a lot more distant and callous. Like having to relive all the time that feeling of his wife being dead has really just built tougher skin.
1: Well, and also I wonder if this, this whole quest that he's given himself is just really a way to try and forget what's going on in his head you know, with that yeah. pain and everything like that. And I, I, I think Teddy kind of alludes to that at the end of the movie where he says there's always going to be another John G. Right. You know, so it, it's something that, that um, really Leonard can't live with, but he can't live without what he's become to, to f- see himself as a functioning human being. Right.
0: Well, to finish out the the whole Sammy Jenkins story, basically what happened in in what he tells of the Sammy Jenkins story is he's trying to figure out whether or not Sammy can actually condition himself um, to see if the insurance company will pay a certain amount of money or not. And he clearly, from what they show of of the storyline, cannot condition himself. Right. But the report that Leonard gives is that he can.
1: That he's faking it. Yeah,
0: that he's faking it. And he does that for the insurance company. And there is a moment, too, where he talks about the wife comes in and she talks to him and she's like, I don't want to know from a business standpoint what you think. I want to know from an actual standpoint of it being a human being what you what you truly thought.
1: And he, and he says that what he told her was that, yeah, yeah, I think he really can remember this information and everything like that. And
0: obviously that makes her extremely sad. Yeah. And this is when in that storyline she goes home and she decides to put him to the true test. The ultimate test. The ultimate test, a very sad test, which she's a diabetic and he always gives her her insulin shot. So what she did is she said, oh, it's time for my insulin shot. He came over, gave her the insulin shot, went back to watching television, and then she'd wait a certain amount of time. She'd turn her watch back and then say, hey, Sammy, it's time to give me my insulin shot. And then he came, he gave her another insulin shot, and she did it a few times until it confirmed her suspicion that he could not, because cause if he was faking it, he would not give her yeah, insulin he all would those not, times. Uh,
1: yeah, he would, have, he would have realized, hey, look, this could kill her. Exactly,
0: and that's what happens. Yeah. Is she ends up dying from having too much insulin, and they say that Sammy is then put into a home um, it's sad. It's ext- it's very affecting. It's very sad. It was very well film wise put together to make you feel what they were trying to convey. Yeah. It was very well done script wise for and, that matter.
1: And, and it it was it was told in such a, a convincing manner um, that you you really kind of accepted this story, even though it was thrown into doubt later on that Sammy Jenkins was actually having that serious mental. Uh, or, memory issues. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to go ahead and talk about that part of the the combination as well, or would you like to? Yeah, to come I back mean, to
0: that. We can really just I feel like jump to the end portion. Yeah.
1: yeah so, so basically, what happens is that um, at the end of the movie, it's essentially at the beginning of where the this particular forty eight hour period of time that the the movie actually happens over.
0: And real quick, I'm sorry. Just just so people know that we're not just kind of like disregarding a whole lot of stuff there we're jumping to the end because there's a lot of exposition that goes on in between which truly is just kind of the journey of getting like a piece of a clue a piece, a piece of a of clue, a clue. A piece yeah it,
1: a clue. it's it's a very much um I, I would i would say that it's very much a police procedural movie right in that regard um with the real the real strength of it being that it's told in a non-linear fashion right okay. um but yeah i mean a lot of procedural stuff happens where where natalie convinces um convinces leonard to go kill her boyfriend yeah. and things like that so i mean we're not trying to skip over that and we're not trying to skimp on uh talking about those people's uh, accomplishments in terms of acting because a lot of the acting was really well done throughout the whole movie i liked I all of the that. actors in the yeah. movie uh, but in terms of jumping to the end of the story and just discussing the themes a little bit more um leonard leonard and teddy are having a very a conversation at the very end of the movie um, where Leonard has just killed Natalie's boyfriend mm-hmm. um, and and t- and he shows Teddy and, and Teddy's like well actually he's actually at first he's panicking because he didn't realize that what, what, what killing a person would do to him Yeah, you know, so he's panicking and Teddy rushes in and he's like well let's get him help and everything like that and Teddy's like no because you're just going to do this again It doesn't really matter. Um, And Teddy tells Leonard that the story of Sammy is actually Leonard's story. Because even after the head injury that Leonard had, he was the one, his wife was the one, not Sammy's wife, but Leonard's wife was the one who was diabetic. And there was this one scene that you had seen throughout the movie where Leonard was laying on the bed and his wife was sitting there in... um, just wasn't wearing any pants, um, just wearing undergarments, and Leonard just kind of teasingly reached out and pinched her, you know. And um, when we came back to this part, after Lenny has told told us, no, not Lenny, uh, Lenny Teddy. is what his wife calls him. Te- after Teddy tells us that that Lenny's Leonard's wife is diabetic, you see that Leonard's hand actually has a needle in it.
0: Yeah. The interesting thing about when all of this goes on in the film is you as a viewer are confused as to whether that is the truth or not because you've already it's already been set up that you know Leonard said do not trust Teddy's lies. So you're thinking the whole time because this is supposed to be fact. He's probably lying <laughs> or he's potentially lying. But then you're also seeing these flashbacks which are showing what Lenny remembers, what Leonard remembers versus what Teddy is telling him. So, they're kind of battling back and forth on the screen, and it really is this interesting moment where you are feeling the confusion that Leonard is feeling at that moment in the
1: film. And, and, and the question becomes, you know, what reality does Leonard want to accept? Right. You know, And this is a question that we all have to ask ourselves on a regular basis. You know, is, is this information that I'm being fed by the media, is this the, really how the world is? Or is the world a better place than it seems to be? Yeah. You know? And so it's
0: really kind of... At, yeah, at this moment, it's really up to Leonard. Like, what does he want to believe? Because with this short-term memory loss condition, you know, it's... It, what do you what do you want to make yourself believe? Because that
1: will become your reality. And at that point, he decides that his next John G... Is actually going to be Teddy,
0: whose real name is John
1: Gamble. Real name is John Edward Gamble.
0: So that, Gamble.
1: Gamble. Yeah, not Gamble. Sorry, Misspoke. Um, but it, it, this is when you everything
0: is revealed that you know Sammy was actually the Sammy story was actually Leonard's story, and in fact there was a Sammy Jenkins, but he actually was a faker. Yeah. He did fake that. So, it was. A situation where it was convenient for Leonard to be able to juxtapose what happened in his life. Well, I'm sorry, not juxtapose, but place what happened a lot of the stuff that happened in his life onto Sammy's story to say, I can learn from this, but that wasn't me. Yeah. Um, but it is him. And so you're then told by Teddy, and this is what happened, is that his wife was raped, but she did not die then. Right. And that how she did die was how Sammy's wife died, which was Leonard gave, you know. Too much insulin. Too much insulin. And he, you know, at this point, Leonard's just kind of, like, freaking out because he's like, no, she wasn't diabetic. It's not, not my wife. Severely confused. And, like I said, they they did a really good job. Of making you as a viewer feel confused along with Leonard. Yeah, and, it's just like what is I mean, happening? It, it
1: really, it really was this this thing. And I, 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 wish I had been able to see this movie in theaters because mm-hmm. you know the group effect of seeing something like this on the screen and all at the same time. You know, if you, when, whenever I'm in the theater watching a popcorn flick and someone gets really amazed by whatever happens with the Avengers or something, I'm always like, really, you didn't see this coming? Yeah, you know, because inevitably, you know, the big dun-dun-dun moment will come and savvy viewers will be like, oh yeah, and then there will be somebody in the audience who goes oh, no yeah, yeah you know and, and just then to be in a, a theater where people are like that before a really smart movie yeah that would that would really be a lot of fun
0: especially at the very end like i would actually like to see once the lights come on and everyone's starting to leave just looking at people's faces yeah are people floored by what happened are people talking about it you know yeah very interesting but what you also then learn at this juncture in the film is that um, Teddy was one of the detectives working the case, the rape case, right, um, of Leonard's wife, and so he's he kind of ended up forming this close relationship with Leonard because yeah. of his condition, and after his wife died, and he basically tells him that he kind of like took pity on him for a reason, and then divulges to him that they found the guy. And they killed him. And they killed him, and and that's been some time ago. And there's there's been there have been more John G's since then. Yeah. And that basically, this has all been a way for him to just keep getting this catharsis. Yeah. Of well, and think know, about finding it, and killing him.
1: You know, and think about the kind of catharsis that Teddy must be feeling to to have this setup where he's got a, a killer. On, uh, on a leash, essentially. And he can point it at whoever he wants. Yeah. And then, and then wreak havoc, and nobody will be the wiser. And that's a powerful thing. That's a have, powerful really. thing right there. Another thing that I wanted to mention is, like, this idea that, you know, Sammy's wife put him to, like, the ultimate test. You know, she essentially used him to commit suicide.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and it's... When it's explained as the Sammy story, yeah. it's basically said that she, she needed to do it as the ultimate test to find out for herself if he was faking or not. But also, they kind of said that if that's the case that he can't. Then does she really want to live with exactly, him? Exactly. Can she live with him yeah. because it's not the same person that she married? You know, she, How would she be able to deal with being with a person that is no longer the person that they were supposed to be? Fundamentally yeah. yeah. Um, and that would just—I I feel like that—that that would just kill you inside to know that the person that you knew is no longer there. Yeah. Um, and that's tough. You know?
1: It really is. I mean, you think when you when you get into a relationship with somebody like that, it's going to be something that lasts forever. And you know, and you don't really take the whole like if you use the traditional marriage vows, you don't think of the idea of in sickness and in health as mm-hmm. including sickness.
0: Yeah. You know, people especially sickness like right. brain injuries. Yeah,
1: and because I mean like long-term trauma like that is something that no one signs up for.
0: Yeah. You know, and I'll you know, I'll I'll give you some information from what, you know, my wife does with her job and she's an occupational therapist and she helps rehabilitate, well, not totally rehabilitate, but she helps people with brain injuries reach goals, like life goals of, you know, some people come in and they they always really like to cook, so they have like a stroke and they can you know their brains damaged to the point where they can't you know use one side of their body or something. So she has to help them learn to adapt so that they'll be able to cook again, things like that. Um, so you know she's told me so many times about these about these situations where you know you you can have a person come in and they were one way before the brain injury and they're they're a totally different person afterwards.
1: You know, I had this experience growing up where our next door neighbors were an elderly couple in their 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had lived in the neighborhood for like 50 years and were really great people um, and real charms to be around. But the husband was always a very bitter person, but always a very angry person. Um, and then and then, later on in, in his life, he developed Alzheimer's. To, mm-hmm. to, and it was kind of interesting to see because i got to see this transition of someone who was bitter and angry and kind of fed up with the world become one of the happiest people that i had ever seen and it was a complete change in the personality
0: well it's i hope this isn't sounding harsh but it's kind of the the whole ignorance is bliss ordeal because that is true to a degree like if you if you aren't able to be burdened by the stresses of your life or mm-hmm. the world or whatever, you're generally going to be a happier person. And with something like Alzheimer's, I mean, yes, that can cause frustration and fear. Um, but in like in that case, it can also cause a little bit of bliss because you're unaware of things that would otherwise yeah. stress you out or
1: make you feel and, upset. And, you know, the thing is that... Um, that s- a simpler life is a like you said, a happier life in a lot yeah. of ways. But we can't find this happiness without without really making a conscious decision to. I know a lot of people who refuse to watch the news. They know the world is a, a very dangerous place and a very horrible place, but they don't want to be confronted with that on a daily basis. Right. You know, and, and I think this is what in a twisted way, kind of what Leonard does when he decides, yeah, I'm going to make Teddy my next victim, is that he's trying to find the happiness of not knowing what the answers are.
0: Yeah. So the it's just very interesting because at the be, at the end of the movie, you see the beginning of how he came to kill Teddy, yeah. which is the very first scene in the film is him killing Teddy. So it was kind of like this, well, how did he come to kill this person? And he's just sitting there, and he's kind of like, all this stuff's been revealed, and he's like, you know, you're using me to kill other people, and this just keeps going. Well, I'm going to put a stop to this. So he writes down his license plate number and says, you know, he did it, this is the guy, basically. Um, So, well, he he writes the license plate number down as his way to use that in his detective work to come to get to he's the one who did it. Yeah. Um, So... It's, And at that point, I was just really like, wow, you know, this film was extremely well written. Yeah. I mean, the writing aspect of it, to me, was the most amazing. Yes, it was really well done cin- cinematically, but the writing is where everything starts, and it make makes it or breaks it.
1: And I think that's really one of Nolan's strongest suits, is his ability to write a very strong story. Yeah, and having
0: seen the way he writes scripts for Memento and all the batman films and insomnia i'm in awe of his genius yeah his ability to write and his ability to think these concepts out it's ridiculous yeah
1: yeah he's definitely definitely one of the minds to continue to keep an eye on when it comes to hollywood films because you know that he's going to make movies that appeal to the masses but movies that are also smart yeah and
0: i really feel like he's He's definitely the type of artist who doesn't have to compromise his vision for the ability to be um, financially viable in, no. in the Hollywood setting. Well,
1: I mean, I've I've heard of um, of directors who say that they will make two or three really kind of chintzy, cheesy movies so that they have the opportunity to budget uh, a really well done, masterful piece of art and he doesn't have to do that sure i mean making ostensibly comic book movies could be considered to be a lower form of cinematography but he does such a good job with the batman trilogy yeah um the first one the first one is only the only one that's truly about batman though but that's another that's another discussion for another time but um but he does such a great job of telling interesting and captivating stories that I'm I'm pretty much guaranteed to go see whatever he does in the theater. I
0: agree with that. And it's interesting because, you know, talking about the, you know, having to do a few chintzy films, there really is this situation where uh, filmmakers really, if they want to keep doing what they're doing, have to do kind of three for the studio, one for me, you know, that kind of thing with the trade-off. But also... You Know selling scripts just to be able to get to where they want to make something else, like perfect example Quentin Tarantino. He wrote the film, uh, wrote the script for the film True Romance, which I loved. He sold it in order to get the money to make, um, I believe Reservoir Dogs. So, Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction? I think, think it's it Pal- Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, it's, yeah, that's right. Because
1: Reservoir dog, Dogs he pretty much financed out of his own pocket. That's right, yeah.
0: So, he sold, yeah, he sold the script to True Romance to, to be able to have the money for Pulp Fiction. And so he really sacrificed in order to make Pulp Fiction a film that was kind of one of his babies in True Romance. And to this day, if you ask him, he hates the way True Romance was directed. He hates the way it came out in the end. Yeah. I liked it, but then after seeing it and hearing him, you know, well, seeing like an interview with Tarantino saying, I hated the way it was done, I was like, man, I wonder what he would have done with it. Yeah. And it sucks that his vision wasn't able to be on the screen.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? It's that time of the show where we're going to go ahead and give our final wrap-up and and, uh, tell you what our final rating of Memento is. Um, I'll go ahead and start this time. Um, I thought this movie was really well done in terms of storytelling. And like, we, like we've been talking about, there's a lot of interesting issues and ethical things to consider in, in this particular movie. Um, it's, a, it's a well-written script, uh, great use of actual film techniques. Um, and what, another thing that's really interesting about the movie is, aside from black and white and rewinding the tape once or twice, there are no special effects. No real noticeable CGI, nothing done with animatronics. It's a straight, what you see on the camera is what you get is in terms of the storytelling, and that that's really to be lauded in this day and age. Uh, so, just in terms of story, some things I would I would say could be a little bit better is that the movie, some of the pacing could be tightened up a little bit more. There's a lot of scenes where you just see him sitting around in a room just kind of wondering where he is. Yeah. It would be nicer to see the movie edited a little bit more aggressively, but I'm not going to argue with the final product. Um, Overall, I think I would give this three and a half stars. All right.
0: Well, uh, for my part of it, uh, the acting was very well done. The cinematography was very good. Uh, The script, which I've talked about at length, is Phenomenal. Um, I have the highest respect for Christopher Nolan. Um, I think, uh, as far as music goes, we didn't really touch on that much. No, we didn't. Oh, yeah, that's something
1: we wanted to talk about, too.
0: It's very minimal. I'll finish this up and then we can hit on that. But there's almost no music in it, which I actually think works pretty well. Um, Overall, a very smart film. There were a few issues with you know, continuity as far as real life continuity with the brain injury situation. But like I said before, you know, you can't have it be totally true to real life because otherwise you aren't gonna be able to tell that story that you need to tell. Um, Very smart, gives you that oh my gosh, oh wow feeling at the end of the film starts very in 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 a very engaging way and keeps you engaged by the way that they're doing the non-linear storytelling um overall i i really liked it It wasn't the most amazing film i've ever seen but i want to give it a solid four stars so that gives us an overall of three and three-quarter stars for this
1: podcast which is a solid solid rating for us let's go ahead and really quickly i know we're going a little bit over time here but let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the movie music because um, one of the things one of the criticisms that I always bring against the Batman movies and in Inception is that I feel that um, Nolan smothers the film in the score yeah. um, which is an unpopular view to take amongst my friends I've actually taken some flack for this in the past but I loved with Memento how sparse the score was and when it was used it was very ambient music
0: yes it, was, it, it wasn't directing you too much how to feel. And for me, one of the great things was that there were a lot of silent moments where you're just focusing on the dialogue or the monologue yeah. of a character, um, which just really gets your undivided attention and allows you to formulate your opinion of what's going on at that time. Because music, a lot of times, Gives you the cue yes. of how you're supposed to feel about a yes. situation,
1: and and just to hear an actor talk in and of itself is is gutsy for uh, it's a gutsy production choice because it exposes the actor so much more to the attention of the audience. Yeah. So it's something that uh, um, probably was a budgetary decision, but works so much better in terms of the actual storytelling yeah. for this movie. So
0: if you watch Memento and then you jump to like Batman Begins, it's really hilarious oh. because it's like minimal music and minimalistic when you're hearing music in Memento and then you go to Batman Begins and it's just like grandiose music that's like so epic in its breath and it's...
1: Batman crazy. Begins is not quite as bad as the other two Batman movies. The first one that I really felt it noticeable with was The Dark Knight. Um, in fact, I haven't actually watched The Dark Knight in about three or four years just because the music, gets the music is so <laughs> overwhelming for me. But anyway, uh, that's enough about that. Let's yeah. go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you very much for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. And we highly recommend
0: Memento. Go highly recommend it, it. If you haven't watched it already. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Our
1: theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk.
0: And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art.
1: Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed.
0: You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com. At gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air.
1: Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life.
0: For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Where movies are most excellent.
1: This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production.